0: Hey, it's Travis. We are coming up on the end of the season pretty quickly, but that doesn't mean we're slowing down. It's been very exciting seeing everyone get their postcards and keychains, finally. Thank you to all our patient patrons. And to those who haven't gotten theirs yet, mine hasn't shown up yet either. So don't start sweating just yet. Reminder to all our listeners that becoming a patron not only helps support the show, every single dollar we take in goes right back into the show and to the community artists we work with, but it also gets you bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes content with access to We Made the Hotel. This month, I'm going to be interviewing Graham Rowett. And as always, I will be announcing the bonus episode and artist on the 15th. Stay tuned after the credits for shout-outs and a little fun fact about the episode. Thanks for listening.
1: I'm jostled, and jerked, and sick. My uniform is baggy, it doesn't fit me well at all. My shirt puffs out where it's tucked into my wrinkled pants. It's shiny and too soft. Where it doesn't billow awkwardly, it clings to my body. It swallows me until I'm lost or it reveals me until I wish I were and the shoes are too tight. Inside my supply closet it's dark and close and the bare bulb hanging above me glows warm and orange. The light doesn't quite reach the far wall behind me. I'm not sure how far back it goes. I could reach my hand out and maybe find the wall just beyond the shadow. Maybe there isn't even enough room for me to lay down without curling up. Maybe that wall is just like the other three. stop me right here keep me right here maybe if I reach out to that dark place it will take my hand then my arm then all of me maybe I can follow that nothing deeper and deeper into wherever it goes Maybe that way leads to the hollows and bloody pipes of the hotel herself. A labyrinth of secret passages and staircases to nowhere. Maybe the drywall breathes and the black mold whispers warnings of the horrors it can't forget. Maybe it leads nowhere at all. I could step into the shadow and wander the flat wastes of the unseeable without thought or feeling. I could go deeper and deeper in, not hoping it would lead me out again, not running from the things that I know give chase, because I put them there, like she put me here. I've had to chase the people that try to run. I have been the monster that they tell themselves is not, could not be looking back at them in the dark. I know there is no comfort in it. Is there something in the dark of my closet now? Looking back at me without comfort? I steady myself against the wall as my closet is jostled again. The orange shadows tilt as the bulb bobs above, but the light never quite gets in every corner. Some shadows are resilient. I have to stay ready in case the guest needs me, in case she needs me. Upstairs, room 900 is ready. I know it will never see a guest. We've been having trouble getting the guests to their rooms. Madame Hotel is. She's been outside in the lobby. I can hear screaming. Not a constant, painful, panicked scream. They're not being hurt or chased. I know what those screams sound like. I maybe have screamed those screams myself. At first it was like that. At first it was sharp and piercing a sustained scream of an animal's panic. But when it ended, it didn't cut off. It didn't raise in pitch and then screech to a guttural halt. It didn't muffle and gag or simmer until it boiled. It didn't gurgle over into a wet cough It didn't pulse with bleated, racking breaths. There's lots of ways to scream. Almost as many as there are ways to die. That's how I know the room I built. Room 900 won't see this guest. They're not dead they're not even dying, they are out there, screaming. I don't know at what, or why, but they screamed until, until they were hoarse, and then they stopped, they stopped screaming, not killed, or hurt, or changed. Whatever happened out there, they lived through it. They're out there still, and sometimes they start screaming again. It comes in waves, low and dreadful, mournful and terrified, begging and demanding thoughtless, the last sound they will ever make, over and over and over. There are long, long stretches of time, I don't know how long between the screams, and they're getting more distant, farther and farther, but never closer to their room. The room is dirty. Not that it wasn't ready for the guest. I mean that the mattress is wrapped in plastic to protect it from whatever stained the sheets. The ceiling is yellow from nicotine and has brown from leaking water that never got plugged. The TV still has rabbit ears, but I don't know if they pick anything up. Guests don't usually have time to watch TV, sometimes they do, but I don't know if they watch what they normally watch or if it's something the hotel just shows them. I don't know what your regularly scheduled programs are. There's no shower curtain and the toilet doesn't flush. The carpet by the air conditioner is always a little wet, so it's always a little stinky. That's what I mean when I say the room is dirty. Even if you tried to clean it, you wouldn't. Or the guest wouldn't, probably. I don't know who they are. I'm still slowly rocking, silent in my place. It's dirty here too, but it's kind of supposed to be, so it doesn't show as much. It's one of those little things you don't notice, you notice. A closet full of cleaning supplies that you expect to be dirty, and a room where nightly strangers live thoughtlessly, that you expect to be clean. I don't expect anything when I look into the places I can't see. The freedom of fear is a terrible trade, or a terrible lie. The dark will come for me if it's there, I I can't will it away, I can't force its hand all I can do is worry it over and over again in my mind until it doesn't matter if it's real or not because it's here consuming me. I focus on the supply closet door. I ignore the fear or I stop trying to control it. Resisting it is exhausting, so I let it run free and think about the room I built for the guest. Their fear will burst through their control before they have time to... Oh. Well, if the room was getting used, it would anyway. It was going to be fast this time. It's not always fast, but... This one was built for shock and striking speed. When the guest closed the door behind them, before they could let go of the doorknob, it would have pierced their hand. A starburst of metal spikes out in every direction, and they're stuck. They could get free if they pulled away enough, if they let their hand get chewed up until it hung in loose, greasy ribbons. It's the bone that makes this particularly challenging. Flesh is soft enough, then a deep breath and a clenched jaw will get you through the plunge of separation. But bone makes you work for it. And the hand has so many bones in it. But the guest isn't just stuck. They're trapped. They could rip their entire arm out at the shoulder, and they'll die just as dead up there. The doorknob is just the beginning. There's something in the dark of that room that lunges, throttling them, twisting them into... (laughs) My closet bobs, and I bump into the wall. I have to grab the doorknob behind me to balance. I... I must have turned around. The dark end of the closet stares at the back of my head with pregnant promises of nothing. Outside, distantly, I hear the screaming again. They sound even farther away, but no less desperate. I let go of the door and wobble toward the back wall. It seems farther than I thought it would be. Maybe it's just a trick of the light, maybe it's just a trick. I reach out to the darkness there, my hand discolored and foul. I wobble again, but this time it's not because the closet rocks in the empty room upstairs the guest isn't being held into place by a deadly doorknob they aren't screaming in pain and panic as the metal works its way up from their hand cutting into the muscle of their arm like gnarly filigree they aren't ignoring the pain now desperately willing to sacrifice the hand the arm Almost anything just to get away from the pain as the metal takes root in through their bones and twists their marrow into braids. They don't scream when the TV, bold and boxy, explodes with a static pop. The tubes and wiring and cathodes don't leap out like thick tentacles, squeezing their torso and searching for a soft spot. It's all soft spots, though. And if the guest were up there right now, the black and gray and dirty silver strands of twisted metal would be digging in already, wrapping around their ribs to pull them apart. Wiring, filling up their skull, pushing through their teeth, metal plating over their skin. Sparks and tiny flames pop and belch from the TV as it drags itself across the floor to them. They scream. Out in the lobby behind me, they scream. It's that desperate howl, trapped, dying, and moaning low. It's the wordless cry of someone who has no bargain to strike, and... Miles to go before they get to die I know it well The light swings over me And I can't quite tell If I'm getting closer to the dark wall Or if it's moving away My eyes are sagging And leaking something white I've been rotting in here for so long I hardly notice when the changes come But when they do, it's so sudden and striking. It's all I can notice. A leg that won't bend anymore. Skin that cracks or splits every time I move something. One by one, the tiny signifiers of death crowd around me until that's all my tiny life is about anymore shuffling towards the unknowable dark surrounded by screams and daydreaming about what might have been in room 900. Up there, the guest isn't being covered in mercury-hot blobs of metal and plastic. They aren't being torn and twisted from head to toe, encased in fiddly bits from the inside out. Plastic fumes don't strip the wall and their bones don't crack from pressure and heat. Up there, the lights don't go out as the wiring shorts, leaving black carbon burns along the walls. There isn't a person shaped with metal and pain, illuminated by a small flame from the husk of the TV on the floor. They're in the lobby. They've been out there for as long as I've been in here. I don't know how long. I've been rotting for as long as I haven't been. I've been walking in the orange light, in the swinging shadows. I've been listening to their desperation and commiseration. They don't get to die where they were supposed to. My room sits unused, unappreciated, and meaningless. The back wall of my closet could lead anywhere. It could swallow me forever, or hide me away. But when I finally, finally get there, after all the swaying shadows and rocking floor, after all the things that didn't happen because of all the things that did. I reached my hand out and it's just a wall just like any other wall in the hotel whatever that means now that I'm close enough I can see the light does reach back here A little, enough that I can see the faded wallpaper and brickwork poking through. The fear I thought I let loose in my mind was always free, was always dangerous, was always harmless. The only thing that anyone should be afraid of here is me. I hear Madame Hotel's voice in my head. She's mad. Oh no. Oh no. My supply closet rocks again, disturbed by the door being swung open suddenly. The owner's skeletal form blocks me from seeing much, but before we rot away to nothing... I can see the lobby enough to know why the guest has been screaming for so long.
0: Hey, this is Travis with a brief ad break. Thanks for listening. Now back to the hotel.
2: The freedom to go anywhere is not a luxury, when we are nowhere. My office, the manager's office, the void, the lobby, the rooms, outside, inside, these walls, no walls, it's all here. Like a child fighting its bedtime, the boundary is real, but the consequence is meaningless. Either way, they will be asleep soon. Either way, they will be in their home still. And tomorrow, bedtime comes again. They wail and fuss. But do they give a single thought to what they would do without boundaries? No. They can't fathom the full scope of their desire. They only know that it burns in them. What else can they do but fight the only way they know how? With tears and noise. Debbie Houston has been supplying us with hers for I don't know how long. I glanced at her life when I made up her card. Madame Hotel clinging and hovering over me the whole time, buzzing and cooing, mood changing with each heartbeat. She's interested in them, I think. Curious is not the right word. How could she be curious? How could she not already know? When she asks her questions, does she want to know the answer, or does she want to know if I know the answer? For that matter, how do I know the answer? Has she given me all that I know? All that I am? And if not... Who could I ask for answers of my own? Perhaps I wouldn't understand them if they were provided. Perhaps they already were. I ask no questions. Instead, I do the work as expected, as best as my considerable abilities will allow. And Madame Hotel's irritations and giggles are my only answers. Miss Houston arrived long after sunset. She thought she'd sleep a few hours and be gone before breakfast. She's expected several hundred miles from here tomorrow afternoon. Normally she wouldn't stay in a place like this. Too low class. Too filthy. But she doesn't think she can make it the rest of the way. She's right. I closed her file... And pushed the reservation cart out through the slot for the manager. Madame Hotel squealed and clapped her hands as though I'd performed a novel party trick. I nodded and smiled tightly. Whatever resistance exists between the staff and I fades to nothing in the face of this unpredictable woman. I try to keep her happy and occupied so they can do what needs to be done. It feels like it's been ages since a guest has made it to their room safely enough to die. It's impossible to tell. But my duty is to her, regardless of how easy or difficult she makes it. Tonight, she makes it difficult. She wants to leave the private office to see the guest. To help the manager and the lobby boy to start the deadly cycle over again. To interrupt the deadly cycle again. The order the manager works so hard to maintain. The structure the lobby boy tirelessly builds and holds together all unwound and swept aside with the powerful and casual hand of Madame Hotel's impassive flights of fancy. I told her this, gently but firmly. Not too firmly, though. I suggested she stay here with me, and we can audit together, after... I placed my hand on the door when she tried to open it. Softly, just softly enough to give her pause while I make the case for a smooth check in. Again. It's in all our best interests, I tell her. I suggest, with no finality or hard edge in my voice. She is not one with whom to test boundaries. For a being so limitless, though, she has many, many boundaries. And tonight, I have crossed one again. She laughed. She's always laughing at something, and the door jiggled in its frame. With a quick and quiet pop, it juttered out as the walls separated. The floor, the ceiling all suddenly drifting away from one another she makes it clear to me to all of us that she will go where she pleases when she pleases she brushed past me past the door between the space the walls have made her feet never touch the ground mine don't either but the manager has to hold on to the front desk as it drifts off the lobby floor. The walls there, too, were separating from each other, everything expanding, unmooring from one another into their component parts. Slowly, but sickeningly surely, they drifted away, and between those sections of herself, the infinite void crept in, Howling like a mad wind through dark trees. The manager looked first to her, then to me. I shook my head just once and let go of the door. It floated past her. In every direction, slowly a star bursting out from the lobby. Walls, ceiling, floor, furniture. It all drifts away. "'Madame Hotel had no problem navigating this. "'She strutted over, walking on nothing, to the lobby doors. "'Even though they float free, no longer connected to the walls "'that turn slowly in the nothing, "'they still opened when she yanked the doorknob. "'Debbie Houston was on the other side. "'If there is such a place... She kicked away, but Madame Hotel grabs her wrist and dragged her inside. She tried to make her sign the guest book, but Miss Houston was screaming and tried to pull away. She slapped at Madame Hotel, slapped at the book, kicked and screams while the manager and I drifted with the rest of the furniture. No, madam, no please, we cannot work like this. That was days ago. Perhaps more. Or moments. It doesn't matter here. Debbie Houston has been without food or water, but still has the strength to scream at us from time to time. Everything continues its slow drift away, even her. She pleaded with us at first eventually working herself into a state of mental shock. Sometimes, horrible lucidity would return, and she would scream vile sentiments at us, but it wound down to a muted and mumbling wail as her strength faded. High above us, I can see the countless rooms and elevators drifting into the blank hollows of reality. Only the lobby boy's supply closet is still contained, held together, no doubt, by an intense need for protection. Is it his considerable power holding the walls together? Is it some perverse reward the hotel has granted him, her most loyal and thoughtless servant? The moaning, dreary death of the guest as she succumbs to her body shutting down is punctuated by our own rot. The manager still has an iron grip on her desk, but semi-clear fluid and globs of flesh float idly nearby as they slough off of her. She and Madame Hotel have been staring at each other in silence since her outburst. The guest seemingly all but forgotten. We cannot continue this way. But what comes next is not up to us. Disruption and consequence, like the decay that grips us, is our inevitable routine. Distantly, far beyond where I can see, though, I can still feel her there. I know Debbie Houston is about to die. Finally. Madame Hotel stays just long enough to watch us crumble before she too fades away. The manager's hands are still locked onto the front desk, though she's no longer anywhere near them. Knowing she'd want to check on her lobby boy, And knowing I only have a few minutes left before I'm drifting in pieces, too, I turn myself quickly, and in an instant I'm at his free-floating closet. I throw the door open, roughly, startling him. He clearly had no idea what was going on out here. Just before we both collapse, I hear her voice in my head.
1: I know exactly
2: what to do with you
1: three the hotel was created and produced by Travis McMaster and Mark Witten, starring Kelly Ninoltowski as the manager Mark Witten as the lobby boy Graham Rowett as the owner and Krista Lewis music by Lauren Picorni, West Rodri and special guest composer Zach Tatum Drake
0: Thank you to all of our patrons who help support the show. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you, Kemi Baptism, Nadia, Leo Weo, Alyssa B, Nialism, Ibis, Sketch, Lane, Zinger, Kayla Keller, Eggnog, Angela E. Davis, Julia Schaefer, Eric Fones. Vader Des, William A., Vile Child, Handeater, Molly Smith, James Irwin, Spike Mulligan, and Dr. Hollywood. Fun fact about this episode is the guest's first name was originally Brittany, until I read it out loud and realized that would make her Brittany Houston. So I changed it to Debbie. Aren't you glad you waited through the whole credits to hear that?